Welcome to Feeling Seen. It's week two of two. That's right, the second and final week of Max Fun Drive, and we've got something special for you today. As you'll hear in a moment, my guest is director Brandon Cronenberg, and my conversation with him is weird, interesting, and a bit off format. But like every episode of Feeling Seen, it is about identity, media, creativity, inspiration, and representation. It is, as we specialize in here, a personal and deep conversation that goes to unexpected places. If that's the kind of thing you want to help bring into the world, this is the time to go to MaximumFun.org slash join and support the show. We've got some membership goals to tell you about and some thank you gifts you can look forward to if you join, but we'll save that for a little bit later. And for now, though, let's get on with the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Feeling Seen, the podcast that talks about the movies that make us feel seen. And today's conversation is exciting because we're going to play around with the form a little bit because as we've discussed so many times in this podcast, not everybody has been able to feel seen. Not everybody has sought to feel seen. That doesn't have to be everybody's mission. That doesn't have to be everybody's charge. And my co-host today is a purveyor of the mind-bending, at times surreal, phantasmagoric, body horror, dark comedy, like visions through the darkness into the theater of your mind, movies such as Caleb Landry Jones starring Antiviral. And I leave with Caleb Landry Jones because you know if that guy's in it, it's going to take you to some dark and strange places. Maybe then you saw after that Possessor, which starred such talents as Christopher Abbott or Andrea Riesborough. And then most recently now playing in theaters to your horror, joy, delight, and concern, perhaps uh, Infinity Pool starring Alexander Skarsgård and Mia Goth. Brandon Cronenberg, welcome to the show. What else do the people need to know about you before we get started? Um, thank you. Uh, what else do the people have to know? I, I, I feel like that's that's a lot. That's <laughs> yeah. a lot. I mean, um, I consider it to be a lot as well, an impressive a lot. Well, thank you. And thanks for having me. Yes, no, thank you so much for taking the time. You have recently been in Sundance where Infinity Pool premiered. You have been doing like promotional introductions and Q&As, doing the push to get the movie out in the world. How is your stamina feeling right now? Are you wishing you had a double to stand in for you? Um, I have a double coffee. I went, <laughs> I, I have a, an empty <laughs> cup of coffee and a full cup of coffee. So I think I'm going to Okay, be okay. Yeah, I, I I have a friend who just sort of lives with the coffee she bought yesterday and then the coffee she got that morning and then they just merge together to form her <laughs> fuel cell. Um, so it's just a constant, it's an Ouroboros of coffees. So I hope that that's going to pull you through today. And and really, we're I said we're breaking the form a bit uh, for the episode um, because you were like, rightfully so, You were like, I don't know that I've ever had the experience of like feeling seen on screen. And so my proposition to you was, what if we dive into, we get crazy and do like, but like Brandon Cronenberg on Brandon Cronenberg, the reality of the idea of the possibility of, and you have consented to this conversation. Uh, Yes. I mean, I can (laughs) consented in a haze of, of, you know, it was, it was before (laughs) I finished the first of two coffees. Are we sobered up now and regretting that decision? Yeah, in the harsh light of of one <laughs> cup down, I'm I'm wondering what I've gotten myself into. Uh, I want to, as as a recently appointed co-host, deliver something yes, worthwhile. Yes, here. we elevate people very quickly on the program. <laughs> yeah, it, it's great. It, it, that felt good. That felt good. Um, <laughs> I don't. To be clear, I don't think I haven't felt seen because no film has ever uh, created a character who, who's relevant to me in any way. I, I think maybe mm-hmm. maybe I just don't engage with films that way. Maybe I'm just not yeah. sort of, uh, putting myself into into the characters I'm seeing in, in, in the same way, or in, maybe I'm not, I'm not using that as a kind of way to identify with, with filmmaking. Mm-hmm. It's kind of the antithesis of the conversation that we engage in here. And yet, in, by, <laughs> in being its exact opposite, I think it becomes sort of similar, where like that, the snake does begin to eat its tail. You have like the loops that go like, oh, well, it's just so hard to one side, it becomes the other side again. That just doesn't have to be a part of your narrative journey. And as somebody who creates these stories, do you find, as a creator, are you wanting to explore characters most of all that feel like they are 
because a lot of people make art and they're like wrestling or channeling or working through pieces of themselves, putting parts of themselves on screen to sort of realize parts of it consciously or subconsciously. When you're creating characters, are you trying to, is it like, no, I want to get into the as unfamiliar as possible. I want to sort of get as detached as possible from what it is that I, that I know or I experience, or is that anything conscious at all? No, I mean, I think all of all of my characters, none of my characters are exact stand-ins for me. All of my characters are sort of me mm-hmm. uh, to some degree, because I think as you're writing, no matter whose dialogue you're writing, you, you end up drawing from your own experiences. You end up drawing from your own, uh, your, your own thoughts and feelings. I mean, in, in Infinity Pool, the, the protagonist, James, is not mm-hmm. meant to be me. But I wrote the I wrote the film in this in this eight year gap between my first and second uh, features. My mm-hmm. career was really uh, you know it took a pretty hard nosedive. We weren't able to uh, get that second film financed for nearly a decade, and so yeah. uh, I was just beating my head against that process, of, you know, every day for the better part of ten years. And certainly, when you're doing that as a writer, you 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 uh, start to ask yourself some questions i I think you know james (laughs) james is a a failed the failed writer and and you know part of his character is this this sort of aging guy who saw himself as as a writer and then uh it it objectively probably should understand that that's not going to happen for him that that he isn't that guy but he hasn't given up on it in, in a sort of pathetic way i've been waiting six years for your second book that's true is it coming out soon We'll, we'll see. Did I say something wrong? Oh, no, no, no. no it's, it's just he, he mm. hasn't been writing. No, well, I'm, I'm working on it. Hmm. Writer's block? Well, I'm starting to think it might be the lack of talent. No. Uh, no. <laughs> yeah. no, don't say that, please. <laughs> well, I actually came here looking for inspiration. <laughs> to a, <laughs> to a resort. <laughs> It's quite pathetic. So, uh, what do you do for money then? Do you teach or? You married rich. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> and so there, there's, there was a sense of self mockery as I was writing that. I guess that was maybe cathartic. Yeah, is like is Gabby like a self flagellation of the artist? <laughs> this vessel of <laughs> I mean, punishment a little bit, for I, you. <laughs> I think she's also part of my brain uh, as well. Maybe that's like a, a two parts of my brain, the, the pathetic one and the one that's <laughs> happy to um, mock the pathetic one. <laughs> Give us the coward, James Foster, or I will come in shooting. He is a spineless worm and a bedwetter, and he'd sell his own mother for horse meat to save himself. But I think you do that, and, and you also, you know, take from people around you. I mean, I remember mm-hmm. uh, characters in Possessor have, having people come up to me and say, "Is that oh, so that's me?" <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> because I borrowed like dialogue uh, from reality, and uh, but you know, the answer is no. It's it's not you. It's a mashup of you, five other people I know, and yeah. mostly it's me just you know getting into my own head. But you you take from your memories, you take from from yourself. It's not the same as being seen. It's mm-hmm, not. Mm-hmm. It's not really necessarily what this the show is about. But but sure. from a writing perspective, I think that's something you do. You you, you just grab from yourself and throw it into uh, your characters and your dialogue. Well, and in, in and obviously within Infinity Pool, without having without spoiling a thing, there is a big part to play for doubling the big a big part to play for one the replication of self and sort of the transmutation of memory experience into a new vessel and then in possessor we obviously have um characters who are inhabiting new skins and moving through the world to accomplish tasks and in antiviral we have people at a point where celebrity sort of obsession has reached this zenith where there are clinics. Caleb Landry Jones' character works at a clinic where you can purchase pathogens, like the pathogens that infected celebrities, and you can be infected with their diseases. And if you would go so far as to also want to eat them, there is also that 
meat that can be purchased that is grown from their cells. And so I wondered, how long have you been sort of mulling over the notions of identity and self in your own work and like pulling consciousness from one place to the next? Because this does seem to fascinate you to a degree. Yeah, I, get, I mean, there, there is there is a kind of thread there. I, I'm not and it's my job to look at every, everything you've ever done and be like, these are the themes. And it's your job to make things and then move on to the next thing and keep going. <laughs> well, no, I mean, yeah, it's, 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 it's such a funny thing because uh, you're probably right. I don't think about it when I'm doing it because each project is its own sort of unique thing. I think when, yeah. when, you're, in, when you're in the thick of it, at least for me, I'm not thinking about my other projects or trying to, to respond to them or, you know, it's, it's kind of like a certain idea or a character mm-hmm. or some concept just sort of gets in your head and you can't really get it out and you have to deal with it. And that's, that sort of ends up being the genesis of something, you know, I've had periods where I've thought that I was going to make one film. It just seemed like the obvious film and I just couldn't really get any traction. And then suddenly there's something chattering away in the back of my head somewhere that, that has to be dealt with um from the outside yes i, I mean these these patterns <laughs> you know do are, are, do they say more about you or me i'm not sure yeah uh, may, or maybe both uh, you know it's it's a very it's a very interesting thing uh because your film does become its own character in a way mm-hmm. uh once it gets released into the world and everybody uh who cares enough to think about it sort of injects themselves into it like i, I think uh-huh. the uh you know, the last creative act when you make a, a film is done by the audience because they're uh, mm-hmm. in, in interpreting it, and uh, it's such a, such a subjective thing. Uh, it's it's wonderful, but completely strange because <laughs> <laughs> you, you sort of wonder what what film you made sometimes yeah. uh, when you're talking to people. But that's also what's great about it: the fact that it's this. Uh, collaboration to some degree between filmmaker and audience. Well, that's uh, and, and getting into that then, like as as creator and knowing that, like I don't, I guess I can't say the point of art is to be seen because that's not, I guess that's not true. Like, but you know, I hope people want their art to be seen. But what has it has there been any kind of evolving process behind you, like putting out a first movie to a third movie and your relationship with that process of surrendering it to an audience for them to put the final lens on it. And like you said, the final act of creation, is that feeling the same as it was when antiviral came out? Or do you have a different relationship with the experience of people processing your work now than you used to? I mean, I think it's more apparent to me, the the degree, I mean, you know, it's, it's a, not a smart thing to say experiencing art is subjective. Like we know, we know that, but like, I think the more you do it and the more you see the incredibly broad and rich, interesting range of interpretations that can come from a film, uh, the more apparent that is, but also in a way, the more exciting it is. I really like, Uh I really like uh, leaving space for the audience to explore the film. To me, that's, you know, if someone's willing to go there, that's the highest compliment. That's the, the the thing that I like the most. You know, if if people disagree about the meaning of a film, that then I feel like I've done my job to a certain degree. The fact that they would care enough to <laughs> to disagree, and and the fact that there yeah. would be room enough to explore. So, I mean, yeah. Getting back to your theme, are people seen in films because? the filmmaker sees them or are they Mm -hmm. seen because they're given a space to cast themselves in the film? And and I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a a great way. I think that's, uh, that's part of the value of art that you can find yourself in it and then be transformed uh, by by that perspective. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I wonder then, like what is your relationship with or point of view on the public side of your career because i it, like like you said it was it sounds like it was nearly a decade getting possessor from start to finish and then infinity pool it sounds like there might have been some kind of overlap there with the f- concluding of everything of possessor and getting infinity pool like going and started a funny thing happens with your specific brand of artistry 
intrinsic within this industry is the public-facing nature of it. It's not, you know, simply hung in a small gallery somewhere for people to see if they're at that location. It's meant to either play in theater, hopefully play in theaters, and then arrive in a digital space where it fans out possibly across the world, and, or perhaps people torrenting it. Like, the point is it for to go, to virally reach out into the world and touch as many people as possible. And it's also a medium that comes with an expectation of at some point there is, if, if not a possibility, a hope that the person can engage with the artist because that's what write directors and writers and actors do. They do interviews. They meet the public. It's a populist medium. How do you feel about the public nature of your job when so much of it can be a decade of something private with a few years of something shared by so many other collaborators and then it's the world? How do you feel about the like, I, there is an idea of Brandon Cronenberg that now exists alongside the reality of who you are every day, you know, toiling to get your movies made? So there are, yeah, a few answers to that question. I mean, first of all, I'm a total, I'm a total hermit. So (laughs) it's not something I look forward to. Like, you know, I, I, I want people to see, to see my films. Uh, that's, and and I enjoy making them the publicity side, you know, it's it's part of the job. I'm happy to do it. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not really happy to do it because it's not <laughs> it's not like legit really in my in my nature. It you know what it has felt good. Maybe I've just been so deformed by the pandemic, but it has felt good mm. to to sort of talk to audiences and, and mm-hmm. uh, show the film to humans in person this time around. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm happy to travel with the film a bit, but it's not it's it, I'm not naturally. Uh, inclined to <laughs> to do that it's not it's not like really <laughs> really my thing um it is very weird on the one hand because yes you end up with this public persona that you can't recognize whatsoever uh first of all i can't recognize myself in interviews even if i'm on camera because <laughs> you're <laughs> well you're you know you're essentially essentially performing i mean well you yeah. know it's not that I'm lying to you here, but this is not a natural mode for me. Uh, mm-hmm. This is this is a performance. You know, you you play you play film. Well, this is a very that's... natural mode for me, and I'm a hundred percent fucking performing. Like this is truly my personality. This is the level and volume my personality exists at. But this is a show, and I'm here to bring people in and entice them and want to keep them entertained. We're absolutely performing for the benefit of others right now. I completely agree. Yeah, completely. And then that's and and then there's another level on which you're misrepresented i think like i see there's mm-hmm. so many times when i'll read an interview and i will they'll just be making quotes up from me like like mm-hmm. you know or it's like very obvious that they've used an ai to transcribe our interview and it's like really weird and i know yeah. that i didn't really say that um i had i remember one interview very early on where a writer said look i'm not even going to record i'm just going to take some notes let's no! keep it human and and i thought at the time i was like yeah let's just keep it human that's great and it was for a big well, i want to say it was for the la times it was for a pretty big paper and wow. then when i read the actual wow. article they had just actually made up full quotes for me <laughs> so <laughs> aside no! from the general weirdness of performance there's an element of like if you read quotes from someone doing press you really can't be sure that you're reading quotes from them actually so there, there's also an element of, of fudging it and constructing the character of, of uh-huh. this of this person but then that's who you are to almost the entire world you're a combination yes. of performance and invention and that character uh, that is, is a complete fiction and that's mm-hmm. mostly how you're known that's that 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 is uh, is a sort of double, but a very skewed, you know, funhouse mirror double who then goes out and has this life <gasps> without you, uh, and doesn't really have much relation to who you are. The one other thing I'll say though is I don't think it, it's it's tidy. It's a sort of tidy thing to say that's this fiction, and then you mm-hmm. are reality. I think right. if you keep digging, you aren't really anyone. You know, like I, yeah. Which, that's I, awesome i'm not i'm not <laughs> i'm not stoned right now i promise i, I am pretty tired <laughs> yeah. um, this is what i was hoping for bray this was like we're gonna peel back this onion yes <laughs> all right he says chugging some more coffee um, <laughs> well because i think the thing is first of all you perform for other people in your daily life that's mm-hmm. not it's i mean it, it's a it's a very exaggerated mode when you're doing publicity that's a that's a 
an amplified version of something that we all do in a day-to-day way. But mm-hmm. you perform for other people in your life. There's no, you know, you speak differently to different people. You have this sort mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, communicative common ground. Um, they don't know what you're thinking or feeling really obviously mm-hmm. there, there's a, a, a persona that you create for for everyone that's true of whether you're doing publicity or you're just you know talking to your spouse um but also you perform for yourself i think like the, you mm-hmm. know you can't know who you are in the world again ignoring the publicity side yeah yeah you tell yourself you tell yourself a story about who you are and your, your history and your character and you know but I mean, we all know those people who are very obviously not self-aware, you yes. know, who, 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 who it's just so clear that they don't understand uh, who they are in the world. Mm-hmm. But we all don't really understand that. There's no way to actually see ourselves from the outside. All of us are telling ourselves a story. We're creating a character internally. And so as people, other people can't know us because they don't know our interiority, but we can't know ourselves because we don't know who we are in the world. And so it's like the person is a we're all collective fictions, I think, that, that we're generating uh, ourselves with other people, with society. And that's true. Uh, again, whether you do press <laughs> press for films or not, if you're in totally, that Totally, whether, like, devoid of press. No, you're totally right. I, I mean, so, on the other hand, that also means character creation and fiction, I mm-hmm. think, are at the essence of what it is to be human. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. Because it's something we're doing all the time. It's just that often we're doing it unconsciously. But I think our brains create narratives uh, create characters. I, I think, t- to me, writing fiction is engaging in a, a kind of fundamental uh, aspect of, of being a human being. And that's uh-huh. part of what's exciting about it. Okay, I have two specific things to piggyback off of what you just said. And they're topics I'm very excited about. One of which is, I love what you said about the idea of like, sort of like a pastiche of fictions, like the, the stories we choose to write with sort of each individual person and each individual experience. Because I am very like being a big personality. Um, I don't really have any boundaries. And so I need to make sure I know other people's because I'm not going to make them. I'm just going to go till I bump up against yours and then understand where our limits are because that becomes our limit. And as a result of that, like I almost not compulsively, but like dedicatedly like it's my job, like to check in with people who are close to me in my life and just be like, how's it going? Just want to take the temperature because I'm so deeply, not self-consciously, but almost joyfully aware that I can't know how I'm being received by anyone really in their interior reflection compared to how I think I'm being received or how I know how I know that I am presenting, but I don't know how that's passing through their lenses and their filters. So that idea of how I'm being read by each individual person, it's like you said, your intention sort of becomes, at a certain point, intention sort of becomes invalid or it becomes moot when you're considering, like, the effect that you have on the world around you. And so I really, I really identify with you saying that. And I I wonder if for you, do you find that as something that is a comfort, like the notion of being a sort of collection of stories that we make and curate? Or is that something that's discomforting that you, like, kind of come to terms with? Like, where is your comfort level with that? I find it personally interesting and kind of exciting. But where do you come down on that? It really depends on the day. I mean, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, on the wrong day, there's something horrifying about that because <laughs> yeah. you can't know yourself or control who you are in the world. Totally. You know what I mean? Uh, maybe it's just a writer's thing. I want to be able to write my character and I can't do it. <laughs> um, you know, there, there's a there's a total lo- loss of control. There's a, you know, we've all had probably the experience of knowing that you're you know knowing you're being weird uh, but not knowing how i mean maybe this is just for those of us who are nerdy hermits but like <laughs> and no one will tell you how you're fucking it up but yeah. it's just obvious that's in some way you know it, it's like an episode of the twilight zone wasn't there some episode where the guy has the mark on his head or something and he can't uh everybody's sure horrified but by the by this mark and it's not explained uh you can't hide it because it burns through his hat i'm having some memory of uh, that um <laughs> it's a world much like our own yet much unlike it a twisted mirror of reality in which a man can find himself cast out made invisible by public acclamation belonging no longer to society but only to the gray reaches of the twilight zone on a on a 
on a good day, it's hugely liberating because you don't exist. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, you know, you're a fiction. Everyone's a fiction. Uh-huh. Uh, it sort of doesn't matter because it's this process of mutual creation and, uh, and you can let go of the desire for, for control because that, that doesn't, it, it fundamentally isn't a thing. You fundamentally don't have control over who you are. Mm-hmm. You fundamentally mm-hmm. can't know who you are. And so exploring those characters, exploring, uh, interaction as a performance or as a creative act can be fun also uh, if, if you're if you're in the if you're in the mood for it that day. It's time for a break and we will return to my conversation with Brandon in just a few minutes, but right now, here is the deal. Maximum Fun, our network, is member-supported. Every month, listeners pledge $5, $10, $20, or even more to support the shows that they love. They do this just because they adore the shows and they want to be part of keeping them going. You should do the same. This is the only time of year I'm going to ask you, the one and only. Please consider supporting Feeling Seen by going to MaximumFun.org join. Do it out of the goodness of your heart or do it for the fringe benefits. We have hit our first mini goal of the drive for the show, which means that a few lucky listeners will win one of the one sheets from my poster collection. Look at that. And if you want to be in the pool for that, you've got to become a new member or you can upgrade or you can boost your existing membership. If we get just 30 more people to become Feeling Seen supporters, we can unlock the next goal, which is that Babylon Apologist episode you know that I want to give you. Help me give you more things, because I really, really want to talk about Babylon, you guys. Um, And if we get there, it'll be another episode in the massive MaxFun bonus content archive that all members get access to. And there are more thank you gifts at higher levels. For $10 a month or more, you get a high-quality, restickable sticker. There is, like, one for each show on the MaxFun network, so there are a ton to choose from. And ours is awesome. It says canonically queer, so you simply must have it. And when all of this is up, anyone who donates at the $10 a month level or higher will be able to order as many additional stickers as they want with proceeds going to charity, specifically to five different food banks across the U.S., Thank you so much to everyone who has already gone to MaximumFun.org slash join to support the show. If you haven't yet and you want the show to keep on going, head over there now and then come back and listen to the rest of this very unique conversation with the unique, certainly unique, Brandon Cronenberg. Recently, I had the I had the distinct privilege of talking to a prolific producer of reality television, and I asked him. I was we know each other on Twitter for a while, and, and we finally met in real life. And I asked him what it's like when he first meets people now in his life that he's so conditioned to like running people through a reality TV pipeline. And he said that it is his reflexive response with people when he meets them to start immediately projecting out the next five years of their life. Because that's how he has to think of people in terms of casting people in these shows. Like, who are you going to be five years from now? What are you going to be? What are going to be your liabilities? What are going to be your strong points? Like, I need to think of you in this long cast out term. So he does this job and is good at it because he has an aptitude for that. And also the more he does it, the more it reinforces that aptitude and kind of like it becomes like a suspension bridge of this characteristic in this profession. So what I wondered with you, do you find that like when you get really into your character creation, does it have any kind of like, is there a dissociating effect to being a person who creates fiction and somebody with a point of view of the world where we're all sort of characters in an amalgamation of stories we present for other people is that like whoa that can like can that can like close in over you sometimes and you're like i don't actually know what people are anymore and i don't want to be around any of them because we're all just ghosts <laughs> yeah i it, you know what it's i think it's maybe it maybe has the opposite effect when you're writing okay. um i mean I, I should say first of all i don't i don't live in a in a kind of dissociative state even though i i believe all of this is true but also our brains are so geared to creating mm-hmm. a sense of self and real, you know, the, 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 the fact that we consider ourselves to be selves at all yeah. in the face of all evidence against that is, is <laughs> because that's a sensation our brain makes because that's how, you know, in my opinion, um, 
we're able to operate. You know, it's, it's yeah. the, 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 the idea of a conscious, singular, continuous self is important for conscious operation of the brain. And that's sort of how that sensation works. Mm-hmm. I don't operate from that, from the place of talking about this because uh, the brain is very good at doing that. But mm-hmm. also, I think when I'm writing, there's something about history mm-hmm. of uh, like personal history which has the opposite effect. It's like, it, it's sort of more grounding because you're thinking of yourself in narrative terms and that reinforces this idea of being a person. And so when I'm writing, I'm usually thinking back uh, through my own experiences because again, you're sort of drawing from your, your own experiences and you're searching around for something relevant uh, to, to what you're writing. And so that process, I, like, I feel like in a day-to-day way, I've kind of blanked my history. I don't know why that is. Like, I, it's not that I've had. So, <laughs> it's not that I've had a particularly traumatic history, but uh, I I have a habit of just kind of looking looking ahead. Maybe it's just mm. something that that's happened uh, as I've aged. But I but I just keep sort of you know thinking. Kind of like ahead. it's almost that feels almost like a survival instinct in in the profession that you do too, where. <laughs> If you look back on the time you've spent on something, then it can, I would imagine there's a sort of crushing weight to it. It's like, no, we look ahead. We look ahead. Like, got to get it done. Got to get it done. Can, can do the next thing. Maybe that thing didn't work out. I'm going to do next thing, next thing. That It feels like a protective measure, at least in the, your chosen career as well. You know what? Yeah. It's, I'm feeling seen right now. That's, it's probably, it's probably <laughs> like, it's probably, it's probably come from that. When, when you go through a long period of things almost happening and then falling apart, you mm-hmm. sort of need to train yourself to wake up the next day and totally f- throw that out and then just keep thinking about whatever the best path, path forward is. So maybe yeah. it's come from that. Um, but I think it roots you in a narrative of yourself when you think back to your history, when you're operating from this place of, of personal history. If, if I'm thinking back to my childhood, if I'm thinking back to, to being a teenager and, and uh, de- you know, those details are still in there, even though I've kind of, I, I kind of, don't access them i'm not someone who accesses them regularly when i do it generates a kind of narrative and a, and a personal history that i think yeah reinforces the, this character mm-hmm. uh I, yeah it's, it's i think it's the opposite I'm not, I'm not thinking about how everybody is a ghost i'm more thinking about <laughs> I'm, I'm reaching into my grab bag of personal experiences and that has the effect of solidifying uh, mm-hmm, a sense mm-hmm. of character rather than undoing it getting into the sort of professional aspect of it, in a career that demands so often of the people working away to make it real and make it so, that they they keep looking forward. They keep thinking the next thing, the next meeting, the next yes, the next producer. Like, what do you do personally to, like, galvanize yourself in that process and keep the marching forward happening? Because this is, you're not necessarily a four-quadrant aspiring filmmaker it does not seem like it does not seem like that is your interest uh i, I say to you gratefully that like from antiviral to infinity fool the present like the edges have not sanded down you did not make antiviral and think like i'm gonna make something that's more warm and fuzzy to to draw more people toward me you seem to have stayed true to like what it is that motivates you and inspires you creatively and that is very impressive and i am very grateful for that and I want to know what what you, Brandon Cronenberg, have learned to do to steal yourself, to keep walking forward when you are in a profession that so often it's kind of constantly being like, no, why don't you stop? Isn't this super hard? Wouldn't your life be easier if you didn't keep marching forward on this? Like, how do you celebrate those incremental victories on the way to uncertain final victory? And how do you, like, keep creatively motivated when, like, logistically things can be so oppressive like i think that's a important part of this industry and i would love to know how somebody who makes movies so bold and brazen as yours keeps going forward in the face of things i would imagine telling them to stop uh it's really just learning to build a switch in your brain Mm. that uh that you can flick when stuff falls apart you know like I, i think it's really you know i have a bunch of ideas this is stuff that's interesting to me. Uh, you know, Possessor, I think if, there were times where it was coming together and then it would fall apart like four times per year, <laughs> like for years and years and years. And we, we had, you know, we would actually enter official prep. Like we did that a couple of times and then like financing would fall through or something like that. So 
I think the the mental trick is to uh, it's it's sort of finding that balance because you have to really care about what you're doing, but mm. you can't. You have to be able to just move on almost immediately if it yeah. falls apart and and say, okay, it's it's maybe it'll get there, but have something else uh, to work on. I didn't I didn't know that when I started because you know I didn't have a film career when I made Antiviral, and so there, mm. that didn't help the gap because you know I didn't have like a few different things that I was developing at once. Yeah. By the time we did Possessor, uh, Infinity Pool was already on its way. And so okay. uh, I think that kind of overlapping helps to a certain degree. I think the thing that I would love uh, is to reach the point where I can be a bit more sure that, that something uh, that I'm working on is going to come out. Because I think the the, the, the the flip side to all this is that you can start just reaching for everything uh, anything yes. that that is at all possible because you just want to get traction and you want to have enough stuff that's that's going on. I, I think mm-hmm. I don't know if this is necessarily true. I, I'm just sort of maybe fantasizing here, but I, I my hope is as uh, you, you progress in a film career, you can be a bit more confident that you can get something made, and then maybe uh, be a bit more choosy about about what you reach for. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know if that's true. I mean, I, I think it's just, it is also just that kind of industry where you can work on something for years and it can die. I don't think that necessarily changes. Yeah, I, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I feel like just for, even just for creative re- reasons, that sense of desperation would be good to like walk back a little bit. It's, it's something everybody <laughs> I know who's in an early stage film career has this sort of yeah. uh, deep anxiety about continuing to move forward at all times. And I think it, uh, it can push it can push people to make some weird choices. And I feel like uh, <laughs> having this conversation with a few people that I'm kind of you know, coming up with at, at the same time where we're all like, okay, can we find an angle on this where we're not like v- making ourselves professionally vulnerable, but we can be a bit more you know, choosy or, or focused on, on fewer things. And I wonder with, with, with you know, our, you make graphic films and, and we, we talked a bit, we did a, a Q&A last night for a showing in Los Angeles and um, you know, you, I guess you've been asked about like, why go so far? Why show so much? Well, you show stuff in your movies. You go kind of far in your movies. This is what you do. I'm like, do, have you, is that a, a, a sort of moment of choosing? Like, is that a sort of line in the sand that you find yourself at from a, like somebody trying to get things made and knowing it could fall apart four times a year? Like, do you feel a pressure to pull back from some of those things that you're known for in terms of like the punch of your films? Or is that like, is that a, is that a red line that you're just not worried about existing? Cause you're like, no, I'm, I'm going to make what I'm going to make or it's not going to exist. Like, do you feel like that pressure to sand down or to like nice wash it all with the stuff you do? I'm wondering like what you're, if there's a villain there, like existentially or like at a systemic level that kind of wants you to be less Brandon. I think there are, yeah, you, you always end up with that conversation at one point where yeah, people okay. are sort of like, uh, you know, like you have those arguments for sure. I've had those on every film to some degree. And it's not that I haven't been supported. I've had really, really good producers. I've had really good distributors. They've, they've mm-hmm. been very supportive. That comes up on every film. But to me, the thing is, I don't think, even just looking at filmmaking in a totally cynical commercial way uh, or industry way, I don't think from an indie perspective, sanding down a film is even a good idea mm-hmm. uh, for, for that reason. Because the thing is, if you have, if you're making a genre film and it, and, and it has this this sort of uh, I don't know what, you know this this sort of provocative quality to it, walking that back a little bit is not going to give you a Marvel film. You know what I mean? Right. Like you're, you're yeah, not, yeah. I don't think making an indie film more lukewarm uh, mm. is ever the answer. And I, 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 there is that current in the industry, and I think it always fails because you, as someone working in independent film, are doing your best to, to stand out you know you're never going to have the big hollywood stars and 200 million dollars on a, i mean we, we had some bigger actors on on this on this one but it's you, you don't you're not going to make the avengers or whatever on, on your yeah. budget and it's never going to be that and so i think trying to make an indie film uh less punchy in order mm-hmm. to find the middle ground is not even uh in in my opinion a good idea commercially because you're not going to being more lukewarm is not going to get you a broad 
audience if you're a small film that's never going to have that huge broad audience like there, there's a either your impulse is to go broad fine but it really needs to be that like that really mm -hmm. has to be the essence of your film if you're making a kind of uh you know punchy genre film and then you just dial it back a little bit i feel like it's just yeah. going to be less visible you know even even setting aside the artistic pain of of, of self-censorship I, I don't even think it's a good business decision I know. I think. I think. Um. I think your your star in Infinity Pool, Mia Goth, is actually a really good microcosm example of that. Where watching her popularity increase, um, sort of in the the chattering class over the past, you know, about year now, uh, her rise in awareness, her rise in sort of a clamoring for her as a star, has not come commensurate with her making work that is more palatable. It has not come commensurate with M Mia mainstreaming herself in terms of like choices. Like I, I think of that quote from, and not necessarily quote, but like I think of that sort of mission that The Weeknd made for himself. You know, obviously he blew up with House of Balloons and that was like a sort of huge mixtape. He was this underground figure and there was like, the music was dark and it was sort of agonizing and it sounded great, but like there was like a lot of fucked up stuff in that. But then he like went to his label and he was like, I want to be a star. I want to be Michael Jackson. I want you to make me huge. I want to be the biggest thing in the world. And then we get like Starboy and we get albums like that. Like this guy set out on a path to be like, I want to be famous and I want, I know I've got the juice and I've got the tools and I want you to package me and make me this. And his music doesn't necessarily sound like House of Balloons now. And that's a very valid path. Like I'm glad he stated that and he got what he wanted. But then like you have a Mia Goth who uh, in her ascendance it, it, like a sort of new peak of her career, Infinity Pool is what comes out. And Pearl is not a performance that is easy to digest. And X is a slasher movie about pornographers. And so I think she is a very good sort of living example of exactly what you're saying, that trying to pitch a fastball down the middle, if you're a breaking ball pitcher, like you're just serving things up for people to hit home runs off of you instead of like doing something that's actually going to be effective and it, you're going to do your job best. And she seems to be a very good embodiment to me of exactly what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, she, and she, uh, you, you know, we did this Q and A that you were moderating uh, last mm -hmm. night. And I, I believe you said something about uh, how she was curating her career Um I, and she is, I mean, she, you know, she's very, uh, it is a well-curated career. Yeah. Um, she is very careful about who she, uh, who she chooses to work with and what film Good she chooses her. to work with. She's not just, even from the start, she was never just choosing to, to get any role. She was really trying to, um, you know, make sure that she wasn't sort of polluting her filmography with stuff that she didn't care about. And that's really eventually paid off. It is a fearlessly impressive choice for a person with a burgeoning career in film. As we just discussed, the notion of like working past that fear of like just wanting to get traction or wanting to make sure the next thing comes and so watching somebody deliberately decide it's not about the next thing coming, it's about the next thing being right is incredibly impressive to watch somebody do from like the age of about 20. Oh, yeah, it's very, very unique. And it's it was the right choice. It's really served her well because you get that sense watching her that she is just phenomenal in everything. You, yes. and, you know, and obviously she is because she's a great actor. But if, you know, a, a great actor uh, can give a performance that's ruined in the edit, it can give a, you know, they can give sure. a performance that's ruined by context. They can, if they, you know, a great actor playing a totally shit character might uh, <laughs> find ways to make it interesting. But that kind of laser focus on performances that she can really give everything to has i think gradually accumulated yeah. you know she has this now this wealth of fantastic performance and that's sort of every that's her entire career now um do you see the similarity in that to the arc that you're building for yourself like can you uh, from the outside to me it looks like you have accomplished this similar thing it's not watching an avalanche. It's watching somebody push a snowball up a hill and that snowball's getting bigger and bigger and it's arduous because it's uphill. But by the time you get to the top, you have this giant fucking snowball because you've been going up a whole mountain, gathering, 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 gathering. And it feels to me like you are, you know, who knows, let's not say ultimate peak, but like you are hitting peaks as you go, as you just continue to insist on pushing the snowball and making it bigger and gathering that momentum through this like true commitment to never like going down the middle and being like, no, I'm going to commit to one extreme or the other because softening or making more palatable is going to give me an audience of no one instead of giving me an intense audience of some someones. 
And it feels to me like you've accomplished that. And I wonder if it feels to you like you're accomplishing it as you stand in the middle of your own forest. Um, I, I hope, yeah, I hope you're right. That would be great. I don't, <laughs> you know, I don't, um, from my perspective, it's hard to again, feel I'm, success in Hollywood when you're making independent films. But I would say, I don't like, do you relate to the notion of me saying you are a very successful independent filmmaker or are you like, no, uh, I, I mean, uh, <laughs> now you're on the spot. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I think it's so it's, it's sort of in the am i seeing fake brandon or am i seeing real brandon <laughs> no no i'm trying i'm trying to like this is why i'm stumbling over my words and trying to answer honestly i think it doesn't feel I, at the same time i recognize how lucky i am to have even made this film like mm-hmm. and with these actors and like this you know it's not a it's not a huge film it's still an indie budget but it's it's a you know a, a bigger as a canadian indie film <laughs> it, it has a like decent budget and it has mm-hmm. uh these big actors and so i recognize that's not something that everyone gets to do and so that represents a kind of success and, and, and i'm fortunate that way at the same time i definitely don't feel at all secure in my career yet because i've come mm-hmm. off this big period of you know when you spend so long <laughs> spinning your wheels after you make a movie you assume yeah that can happen again at any moment like mm-hmm. when i made antiviral it didn't light the world on fire it was a weird little film but it played some big festivals and it took mm-hmm. a long time to get to that point and i was like that's it okay i'm a filmmaker um, <laughs> yeah. and then i totally was not like it, it just like completely did not help me um so i think i'm still yeah i i, I recognize that things have been going better now and and the ways that I'm fortunate with where my career is at, but I, I still coming off that experience, I guess I, it will take another, at least one film yeah. being made relatively soon for me to feel like I'm in a, a rhythm at all, because I've just, you know, I've had two at a, a kind of normal filmmaking pace now, but just two. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And it's <laughs> the kind of industry where uh, I think you can just fall off a cliff at any moment. So, you know, that's true, but it's so weird. Like it happened to Karin Kusama and she's Karin fucking Kusama. Like, <laughs> yeah, nobody's, nobody's safe. Um, but at the same time, like, I, you know, it's, it's amazing that I was able to, to do this and, and with, with this cast. So I know that's, unusual and lucky but i also don't know if i'm gonna make a film in the next 10 years like i I won't feel confident until uh until i actually have something uh, going well i um i hope that you i hope that even though sometimes you don't exist and, and we're not real that you are able to find yourself standing in this moment of what i feel should be triumph and perceiving that and absorbing it as real and actual for the triumph that you have achieved with Infinity Pool. Um, I love this movie. I, I, it is, I, I watched it a second time and I loved it more the second time because once that like the surprise was passed, I could just like luxuriate in everything that was happening. I was like, oh my God, no, this is great. Like I knew I loved it the first time, but then I was like, no, you really actually loved it. You weren't just like overwhelmed. Um, so I hope that that success can feel real to you right now uh, before you walk forward and don't look back and start blanking out parts of your history as you just do the, the march, march, march. Um, and thank you so much for being willing to engage in this conversation with me in all the places that that we took it together. I really appreciate that, Brandon. Uh, well, that's incredibly kind of you. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me on your podcast that we're or our, our podcast. Our podcast. Oh, I'm so glad. I'm so glad you're on our podcast. I'm so glad we have a podcast. I could never have dreamed to have a director I look up to uh, so much be, be our podcast. So thank you, Brandon. I appreciate your time. <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you again to Brandon Cronenberg for sitting down with me. Uh, Infinity Pool is already available to rent and is on streaming, but it is also coming to Blu-ray really soon on April 11th. I can't speak to what the contents of that Blu-ray will be, but keep your eyes on it. Perhaps it includes uh, some frames that were missing from the theatrical release that were seen at Sundance. Again, I can't speak to that, 
but it's worth looking into to see if there is the additional content some of you have been waiting and looking for. And now one quick thing before I go. Before we wrap up the Max Fun Drive of 2023, I just love making the show a lot, you guys. It's such a gift. Um, when I when I left print journalism, the thing I was worried about most, the thing I knew I would miss most, was getting to interview people, was getting to to talk to people. Like I liked, I loved writing the stories, of course, loved writing the articles, but it was having a way, having a facilitated way to reach and speak with people who make things that I think are amazing. Like that was the best part of my job as a print journalist, and I was so sad to leave that behind. But I didn't have to. I get to keep doing it here. I get to keep doing it on the show. And honestly, in the best way I have ever been able to do it um, compared to every other version of way I have interviewed people in my life and career, this is my favorite one. And the conversations that I have with people, every episode, we have like the same construct that we approach it from, but I have absolutely no idea what people are going to tell me. I love finding that out in progress. I love it when people bring a character that like completely by chance fully aligns with the work that they are talking about that they've just created in their own careers and how we find those threads sort of perhaps from the beginning of their movie-consuming lives up to the present in their film and television creating lives. Like, that is such an amazing thing to find those points of commonality with people throughout their lives as we listen to the ways in which also they're so different as they've grown through their artistic journeys. And, like, we had Kihui Kwan crying with me on this podcast, you guys. And he won an Oscar. Like, it's it's so wonderful to be able to keep up with the amazing guests that we've had on the show and see the things that they go on to accomplish and feel like we, as a feeling seen community, get to be a small little part of their journey along the way because we've learned something about them that is personal and vulnerable. And, like, that's just a gift. Uh, so you should support us because we give you gifts like that and uh, because I have so much fun doing it, and I'm pretty sure that comes through the amount of fun I'm having very loud and clear. Uh, this is our second Max Fun Drive with Feeling Scene. This is our 71st episode, which means 71 conversations about all kind of characters with a huge variety of people. And it's really exciting to think that this is, you know, just the beginning. Uh, what we really want and need you to be a part of is um, really everything that we do here, which is what happens when you donate. And it helps us reach a wider audience. It helps us keep the lights on, you guys. Like, that's the math of it. You, you give money, we get to do what we do. So please, if you can afford the $5 or $10 or whatever a month, now is the time. MaximumFun.org slash join is the URL. And thank you again. And that is our show. You can follow us on Twitter at FeelingScenePod or you can send us an email at FeelingScene at MaximumFun.org. If you want to follow me, I'm Jorkeru on Twitter. That's J-O-R-C-R-U. Our theme music is by Andrew Epen. The show is produced by Marissa Flaxbart. Our senior producers are Kevin Ferguson and Laura Swisher. And this is a production of Maximum Fun. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.